Thank you for creating time to tune in to today's episode. My name is Adriana, and this is the PMDD podcast. I am warning listeners that there may be sensitive topics surrounding mental health and health procedures. The content here is for informational purposes only, and because each person is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Well, I am super excited to introduce my next guest. I have Mandy here. Mandy, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your bundle of wisdom. Thanks for having me. Yay. Awesome. All right. So where are you in the world at the moment? I am in Minnesota near Minneapolis, the Twin Cities in the northern United States. So getting our first good snow. <laughs> totally opposite here. I'm here like making yep. sure I'm <laughs> on. <laughs> um, and where are you in your cycle, if you don't mind me asking? Sure. I am actually not having a cycle. I'm six months postpartum from having twins. Um, And with the breastfeeding journey, my cycle has not returned yet. So I'm interested to see when it will return and how that will be. And I was just thinking about it the other day, like, am I dreading it? Am I looking forward to it? And I'm looking forward to it in a way. um, I've been reading this book, Wild Power, which I highly recommend to your listeners, but um, talks about kind of the menstrual cycle seasons and all these things. And I feel like I kind of missed having that like reset of like that reminder to rest each month and, you know, just the shifts and, and everything. Um, I got so used to tuning into that, that it's weird not to have a cycle for so long during pregnancy and breastfeeding. Yeah. So what was the book called again? Wild Power. Wild Power. Yes. Powder. Okay, cool. I'm, I'll, I'll leave, I'll mention that in the show notes as well. Cause I think mm-hmm. I'll definitely want to have a, have a read of that. I've got a road trip coming up, so that's going to be perfect. Yes. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Excellent. So maybe we start, obviously you've got so much to, um, like I said at the beginning, you've got a lot of wisdom to share um, with what you're doing in this space, but maybe we just start a little bit, touch upon as much as you like on, um, on your personal PMDD journey. Sure. Yeah. And I, I'm a registered dietitian by trade, but well, you know, I I've, was diagnosed with PMDD over 15 years ago. Well, long before I, you know, worked in this functional medicine space or as a nutritionist. And it was back when I was in college. Um, I, I believe the college like psychologist diagnosed me or my mom started calling attention to it. You know, I know at this part of the month, you're going to call me and life's going to be falling apart. And then you're going to be back to doing all the things and, and kicking butt and taking names. And then it, you know, would come back. So I started to notice the cyclical nature back then. Um, and gosh, my story is like so many others, right? Like it was like, trying medication after medication, different types of birth control. Um, and, and back in that time, I wasn't really aware of, of any other options or the questions to ask. And so um, I, at that time, I feel like I got a handle on symptoms and could, could manage. But there were some high stress times in my life where, um, I, you know, shit hit the fan, so to speak, where I all of a sudden 
you know, crashed and I couldn't ignore the symptoms anymore. And, you know, the antidepressants or the birth control were no longer working. And in fact, potentially making things worse. So in that way, I feel like my, my story is very, very similar. Um, I'm, I'm sure a lot of listeners can relate where it's like, okay, you, you have hope for this treatment and maybe it takes the edge off. Maybe it makes things worse or a combination of both, depending on that point in time. Um, and I just got fed up, you know, I got fed up with trying all the conventional stuff. Um, And as I started, you know, my training as a dietitian and working as a dietitian, I just got more and more curious about what else I could do. And I just went on this path of like exploring all the interconnected interwoven pieces, you know, natural approaches. Um, And then got to a point where I had really, I I would say easy peasy kind of symptom free cycles for a long, long time, Um, which, um, you know, it's, it was a long journey, a lot of trial and error, but now I just, I just have this like relentless passion to, to do the same with others. So it's been, it's taught me a lot over the years for sure. Yeah. I would like to just go back and you said something about how the SSRIs or even the pill, actually, they managed to assist with the management of symptoms for a certain amount of time, but then Mm -hmm suddenly it would stop, well, inverted commas here, working. I hear this a lot. Now, I, I didn't go down the the SSRIs or the pill when I knew about my PMDD symptom. Do you, do you know why that is, that it only, I mean, this may be out of, I, I don't know, do you know why that so many people are saying that it's only works for a certain amount of time and then sort of just suddenly all the symptoms come back? Yeah. I mean, I have my, my thoughts and insights from my training and, you know, my personal experience, I'm not, you know, a psychiatrist or an OBGYN, you know, I I work as a nutritionist in this functional medicine space, but my belief is, you know, initially for me, I, I was, if I remember correctly, like skipping my periods, right. So I was on that like continuous birth control. So I wasn't cycling at all, but then, you know, I think there's this impact from the synthetic progestins that can then start to create mood symptoms. And, you know, from the birth control side, um, I found that like, you know, initially it was like great not to be anticipating that, like, I I call it like the tidal wave that like, Mm. when is this going to come? But then I think, you know, the synthetic hormones started to kick in. And in my case, I was taking one that um, with my particular metabolism and physiology increased what are called androgens. Those are hormones that males and females have, but um, in the female body, you want them in this, this balance, right? And that type of birth control um, increased mine too much. And I started having other types of symptoms, um, you know, even more irritability, and I started gaining weight and couldn't sleep and all these things. And so it started hurting me more than it was helping me. Um, And from SSRI standpoint, I think this is really, really an interesting area that, you know, for me, I found I tried many, many medications that I felt a lot worse actually. And I found out that I had um, kind of just kind of unique serotonin receptors that like the traditional SSRIs were were simply not effective for me. Um, And so I think that, you know, you always want to question like genetics, you know, how does your body respond to that? And then, you know, from what I've learned, there can be what's called receptor downregulation. So it's like you have this flood, let's say, of your happy, feel good brain chemicals and your body's like, wow, she has a lot of that. I'm going to decrease the number of parking spots where those feel good chemicals park in to kind of keep that homeostasis. Right. And so um, that's why I think they can have sometimes diminishing returns. Um, 
And also the side effects would be a third component where, you know, are the side effects or the cons outweighing the potential pros? So it's like finding the medication that works with your genetics. I I call it medication Russian roulette, right? Like, um, and, um, and all of those factors I think are play a role there. Absolutely. I know. And exactly. You've pinpointed it Russian roulette because it can really, it can go three ways, right? It can go really good. It can go really bad, or it could be just like the same (laughs) and no difference, um, which is just such a scary um, avenue sort of for anyone to be able to take. So, um, so let's dive into your, your work, your specialties, where you sort of, how you sort of got into getting more specific in this space. Yeah. And I, um, I'm getting old now. I've been a dietitian for over a decade and I, I've, um, I opened my, my private practice really focused on PMDD almost a year and a half ago, but I've been working as a dietitian for for a long time and, um, specialized really in looking at biomarkers of health. So using blood work and lab data to guide someone's action plan. So they're not guessing, they're not doing cookie cutter approaches because, um, it, I think that, you know, just leads to a hopeless place when, when you aren't seeing results because the plan isn't personalized to you, um, or you're not sure what to do because you're trying a little bit of everything or trying what worked for someone else. Um, I've just had this, this drive for a long time to help people find what works for them. A lot of times we want to live by dietary dogma and certain rules in black and white. And oftentimes there's a gray area um, and it really depends on the person. So um, I transitioned from a role where I was really focused on that and mentoring other dietitians to do the same to being really focused on, on working specifically with people with PMDD, just with my experience and just um, a little bit of this like obsession with the research coming out and the information and like, am I the only one that, you know, benefited from a natural approach or other people experiencing this? And I just kept digging and digging. Um, and then eventually um, working with other people and seeing their results, um, you know, and seeing them get off medication, or we worked with their medication to enhance the effects um, to going from, you know, suicidal ideation to like believing in their hopes and dreams, like all those things that like, um, make what I do or what people in this space do, um, so worth it, right. To like see those transformations and people getting their, their lives back, um, is essentially what it comes down to. Oh, it's, I mean, it's so important that we understand that everybody is so unique and that not the same thing is going to work for someone because our bodies are so different. Exactly what you said was the, uh, you know, the genetics that comes into it. But something that I wanted to just maybe go a little bit further into, and I think I've highlighted this on other episodes, but I really want to keep highlighting it, that the the things that really changed over the course of my um, diagnosis was the different approaches that each professional would take and it wasn't until they started doing my blood work mm-hmm. and at certain like it like I, I I couldn't believe that I wasn't getting asked these um tests right from the beginning like you know different like having the blood test um at different times of your cycle what they were mm-hmm. actually testing for but also how they were reading those tests because I would yeah. take the same blood work to different professionals and one would say, you're fine. Your iron is fine. Let's just say that. It's, your iron's fine. And then another one would look at it and go, 
No, there's two markers that we have to look at. And again, I'm not a professional in this, but I, I it was just in the last couple of weeks that I found out my iron stores are so low, but the other marker or something was really high. And I was like, how are not other, like I'm seeing GPs that were telling me that, you know, that oh, yeah, iron's fine. We don't have to think about it. And I thought it kind of scares me, but at the same time, I wanted to raise it because if people are listening, these are the things that we should be asking out. Like at, these are the because the 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 blood work doesn't lie, the data doesn't lie, and it's it's black and white material that could really because you could be taking a whole lot of su- supplements as well that mm-hmm. are just absolutely not doing anything for you. Do you want to maybe go? Yeah, maybe elaborate a little bit on that. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's my wheelhouse. That's where I live, and I think the there's a a few things to pull out from that. The first is to advocate for yourself and also to know who you're asking the questions with, right? So there's going to be, you know, different types of doctors and different types of professionals for different things. And so, you know, if you're going to, let's say, um, you know, for example, um, you know, my OBGYN that has delivered my babies, right? Like I would not go to her if I broke my foot. Um, And so, you know, if you're asking a conventional doctor, am I medically okay? And all of your labs are within the medical ranges. Yes, by medical standards, you know, they're just seeing it to rule out disease. And this is where it's tricky with PMDD because there's not a lab test to diagnose it, but that does not mean that data isn't important. Um, And even I would say imperative, like you, you need it, in my opinion. And so um, part of the way that um, you look at it from like a functional medicine perspective is um, the first thing is the ranges that you look at are not the medical ranges. They're much, much narrower. Um, I like to say like, I'm pretty picky. I'm going to nitpick your labs. And that's because we're not making sure you don't have a disease. We're optimizing your health. Um, And a lot of times, you know, someone will come to me for, let's say, PMDD or other, um, you know, mood or hormone related conditions. And they're like, why are you talking to me about my liver function or my gallbladder? Or why are we doing a, a microbiome stool analysis, right? And so we start to connect the dots between what are the symptoms on the surface and what are what is the data telling us and even what data do we need based on what that person is going through but yeah if you're only looking at the medical reference ranges I in you know the United States I say like those ranges are based on Homer Simpson <laughs> like they're not based on a healthy population they're based <laughs> on the people who are sick and going to the lab to get tested mm. so why do we base health status on markers that are are set that way so um does that make sense Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if, if what, what, okay, I'm going to ask the question, what standard tests like blood tests would you um, normally ask for, of your patients, of your clients? Yeah. Um, so there's, and I, I'm actually doing a workshop, I think in early to mid January on this, I'll put it up on my website soon around what to ask for and why and, and how to use it. Um, and, but there's a lot that can be done with standard blood work that's drawn with every physical. And and it's kind of like, it's challenging because sometimes enough is drawn. Sometimes it's not. So like if I could make my perfect panel, I would probably add a a few extra things, but even with looking at basic, um, there's something called a comprehensive metabolic panel, um, checks glucose, liver, kidney function. Um, There's um, like the white blood cell differential to look at immune function that can give a lot of information when looked at from this perspective, right? Blood cell health um, points to like, can your red blood cells deliver oxygen throughout your body? Do you have the right nutrients for them to do that? Um, And I, I, um, like I said, if 
if I was designing the panel, I would add more information around, um, you know, things that impact detoxification and related to, to glucose regulation or balancing out your blood sugar is really important. Um, and I, I'm actually creating a panel that I want specifically for PMDD. Like all my PMDD clients are getting this blood work. Um, so I can have <laughs> everything on my wish list to, to start to put that puzzle together with them. But those are some things that are oftentimes drawn at every physical that are essential. The, the thing to add would be if someone has any um, symptoms of low thyroid function, that's really key to rule out. Um, you know, if they are feeling in general, like lethargic, depressed, um, sluggish, constipated, dry hair, um, kind of dry skin, those sorts of things, um, you know, to get beyond, it's called TSH is like the standard thing that's normally checked. You really need a full look and a full thyroid panel. So for, for my clients, especially female clients, I like to test that at least once a year um, to check on that. Um, And then the last piece would be if someone has symptoms of high androgens, um, like high prolactin, sometimes there can be high testosterone or DHEA. Um, That would be things like you have um, kind of that big cystic acne, especially, you know, on the jawline or on the upper back, um, sometimes on the arms and shoulders, hair growing in places where it didn't before or shouldn't, and then less hair where it should be, you know, is the hair in your head thinning, but it's sprouting up in other places. Those would be signs to check those markers. And then again, compare them to optimal ranges with the support of a professional, because you don't want to be sleuthing and Googling your own labs. You'll drive yourself crazy doing that. But Um, those are some things that I think are really important because there's a lot of things that coexist with PMDD or can exacerbate the condition too. Interesting. It's, um, cause it's one thing for me. I, I used to be one of those people that wanted to fix everything all at once. And then I never actually knew what was actually working. So I'm kind of going through Mm -hmm. this beautiful phase at the moment. I'm like, let's just pick, you know, like we've got the PMDD under wraps. Now let's look after this. Let's look after this. And actually something that you just mentioned is those, um, the, the pimples around the jawline. That's something that Mm -hmm. I'm, so I'm like, I'm, I'm already like, right need to note all of this down and make sure because that's my next step I'm like right because it's been something you know the mental stuff has been obviously the priority mm-hmm. <laughs> now that we've got on top of that I'm like now this this whatever's happening around there and obviously I don't know too much about it but the fact that you've highlighted it I'm like right that's mm-hmm. that's something that I need to personally look into as well. <laughs> Oh, it's just like there's so much going on. Just review your labs on the next podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I know. I know, right? Um, So another question I have is that is there something, I know that everyone's unique, but is there something with all your clients that you're finding a similarity? Like Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Is this, is this maybe one symptom or something that's coming up in bloods or something that's actually becoming quite consistent with all your clients or maybe not? Yeah. So I think of it in, in different phases. So, and, and that helps my brain work through the process of helping a client as well as um, making sure we cover all of our basis and really leave no stone unturned. I would say a really, really positive or common thing is um, the blood sugar re- regulation piece. Um, so that is, I would say, essential for most people, even if someone doesn't have um, pre-diabetes, for example, um, there can be what's called reactive hypoglycemia, like your blood sugar goes um, really, really high and drops, crashes low, and that can cause a lot of different symptoms. It can be um, just chronically low, which is just as, I would say, risk 
risky and stressful to your body as it being high. And so um, I use all these kind of fun science algorithms and equations to like look at the typical types of blood sugar pattern to help guide us of like what um, style of eating and meal balance really works for someone, right? A lot of times people think like, oh my gosh, I have to be low carb. I have to do this. And that's not the case for every person. We can go over um, an example client that um, her story is so awesome, but she actually was not eating enough carbs. She was under eating. She was over exercising and that was creating that stress in her body. Um, the other common thing I, I would say is um, inflammation. And that's, you know, this term that's thrown out there and it can be kind of abstract, like what is inflammation, right? Um, and, you know, if you think about it, like in an acute sense, let's say you fall and you scrape your knee, there's an inflammatory process that is supposed to happen to like bring, you know, healing compounds and cells to the surface and, and heal that wound, right? But it can happen chronically. I, I like to explain it as like a low, slow burning fire, and so we can make really strategic changes in the diet of what do we need to add in to dampen that fire and how do we stop stoking the flames, right? Like what do we need to um, remove or reduce there? And it, and this is where a lot of times people want to be black and white and it doesn't always have to be that way. There should be flexibility left in the diet. You know, I know, um, you know, with Laura Bryden, you had talked about the dairy question. That's a common one I get all the time, but that's a good example. We can look at the quality of dairy types and do an experiment um, of like how inflammatory is that for you, not, you know, the general population. Um, so yeah, the blood sugar regulation and inflammation are key. And then, um, nutrients, of course, I find this is where I like to do a supplement makeover. I call it <laughs> um, my nice way of putting it pretty much like oftentimes ditch a lot of the things people are taking, um, due to the quality and the forms of the nutrients. Um, sometimes they're taking way more than they need. Um, and it's not, you know, if you've been taking these supplements for however many months and your symptoms haven't improved, well, something's amiss, right? let's do something different. Let's look at why. Um, and so I'll see things like they're not taking the activated forms of the nutrients, um, or it's not quality and not enough of those amounts, or they're missing certain things. And that's where that data and that blood work can start to come in to help us figure out what do you need? And more importantly, like, is what you're taking necessary for you and safe? Um, and not to get on a tangent here, but an example would be like Vitex or Chaseberry is a common PMDD uh, supplement that can be really beneficial. And for, and I, it's something I use and have had success with, um, with clients. However, I don't just like blanket statement, say everyone with PMDD needs to take this because there are certain patterns and lab markers where it may make things worse, or it's not going to have the result that we want and we should prioritize something else. So um, just an example of why we want to make sure it's personalized and that we're being smart and strategic about what you're taking, what you're taking. Absolutely. And if, if you if you are seeing different health professionals, when they ask you, you know, what other things are you taking, you know, people straight, you know, straight away think medications, et cetera. But I, I know from my experience over the last couple of years, I didn't realize how dangerous some supplements coupled together mm-hmm can not, maybe not necessarily in the PMDD sense, but something else, like it could make you bleed more or et cetera with just those two. Or if you take one, that's going to inhibit that <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and, and everything. So it's just, it's just amazing that, um, and I agree with you. I, I, I go through these phases as well, where suddenly I'm taking so many supplements and I'm like, hang on a second. I've, I, I've, and obviously they're supplements, they're not drugs, but at the same time, I'm like, mm-hmm. I feel like a lab rat right now. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> there's too much going on. Yeah. In my system. 
Well, and, and needs may change over time. And so, you know, if we're thinking about, you know, these foundational pieces, um, the other thing is like what can come into play with that is just like nervous system regulation, uh, which is something we can go more into, but um, you know, we can't forget about the mind body connection. And with PMDD being really unique in that it's a biological, it's undoubtedly biological and a psychological, you know, mental health condition that we can't forget about that connection and that connection and and the root factors involved there might be different for certain people. Um, But, you know, with this kind of root cause approach, like, so I think of it as, like I mentioned, kind of four phases. Phase one is like, what are those foundational things that everyone needs to do to reset, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then like the second phase for me and the way I work, I call it reveal, which is the name of my private practice because I, you know, I want to make sure we're not leaving those, you know, stones unturned, right? That we are looking at what data do we need to drive the rest of our approach and then rebalance, like taking that data and putting it into action. And that way, um, you know, you're not spinning your wheels, feeling more and more hopeless that things aren't improving. Um, You're getting somewhere and you know why you're doing what you're doing and also like how to do it, right? We have to make sure that we're um, taking things step by step, not biting off more than we can chew. And when you're getting and gaining momentum, those changes become easier to implement than trying to um, be all in all at once. And you got to be feeling better little by little to even have the capacity to make changes or plan your meals or eat healthy and those things too. So um, yeah, that's a, a little bit of, about the, the approach and the, the big pillars there. Yeah. I'm so glad that you yeah mentioned that whole root cause because there's just so much of a band-aiding um, you know, system out there. And it's so important once you do nail down to the root cause, everything can really shift. Um mm-hmm. Before we sort of started recording, we definitely wanted to touch upon the big T word. Uh, And it's something that I have spoken about in other episodes, but I feel like um, we do sort of, you know, bypass it a lot. But I, I have a, I, me personally, I believe that there, this has um, a lot to do with my personal journey. Um, and so the big T word that I'm referring to is trauma. So I would love to hear your beliefs around that. Yeah. And and I think that's a good way to phrase it as beliefs because the research is developing and I can see what I observed in myself, what you've observed in you, what I see in my clients. And there's even, you know, conflicting studies at this point. And this I think is um, part of our, our, tendency that we want like this like linear thing of like this causes this right and I um I think of it as more of like a web of connection you know how do these different things relate to one another and I I I put trauma in that bucket and speaking of the big t you know if anyone's listening to this thinking like I don't have trauma there can be big t trauma and little t trauma um I don't know have you covered that at all on the podcast no, no, I don't think so. Okay. But it's something that I, I think, but even if I have, I think we need to keep reiterating it because when, when mm-hmm. majority of the people think trauma, they think of something like PTSD and, 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 you know, war yes. zone or, you know, obviously unfortunate, yeah. you know, rape incidents of sexual, you know, mm-hmm. um, please, yeah, please go on. Yeah. To yeah. Explain. Well, and, and for any listeners out there with big T trauma, of course, like, 
sometimes even just bringing up that word and talking about it can be triggering. So make sure, you know, support yourself after, you know, have, you know, your support person. And for anyone who's out there saying, I don't have trauma, like what, what is all this talk about trauma all the time? That little T trauma is referring to kind of like small little incidents that kind of have a cumulative effect over, over time. And there can even be intergenerational trauma. So there can be, um, a, let's say a major traumatic event that happens, for example, in your grandmother, and that can change is called epigenetics, like change that genetic um, expression that's passed down through the generations where it may shift the way someone's nervous system functions. Um, and so those are some important things to remember in the beginning. And then when we look at the research that's out there, you know, when you say, okay, there's an association between trauma and PMDD, it doesn't always mean causation, right? It's the correlation versus causation. But I start to question kind of in the, the way my brain works and like looking at it is like, okay, what, what is that connection? Mm. Um, and so, you know, some people I think are more genetically likely to develop to develop PTSD after trauma. Um, I was looking at some research yesterday, actually on, um, there's some stuff on something called BDNF, brain derived neurotropic factor and, and PMDD. And I looked at this, um, clinical guide for the genetic tests that I use. It's a nutrigenomic test. Like how do you use nutrition to kind of um, power your genes in the right way, like working with your genetics with the food as medicine approach essentially. But at any rate, I was looking at this and it had, um, it was around that, like some people with this, like certain SNP, it's called like this genetic change in that BDNF are more likely to develop PTSD after trauma. So let's say two people could experience a very similar traumatic event and one person can develop PTSD and another won't. Um, and then we layer on top of that, if you think about um, the way our world functions today, fast-paced lifestyle, the value we put on work and productivity, do people really even have time to not only tend to their menstrual cycle, but like process trauma, to process stress, to like release and fully process that? And again, it's like that compounding effect. And, and in my opinion, I think that's part of what can drive PMDD. It's like the, the biological um, kind of, you know, lack of resilience, I would say can bring some of those emotions to the surface. Um, And then we just have less of a tolerance to handle that, right. When, when they've been like repressed and kind of stuck. So I think, again, it's really important to think about the crossover versus like putting all your eggs in one basket. Like I'm going to do therapy and hope that gets rid of my PMDD or I'm only going to, you know, um, work with a, you know, functional medicine practitioner on nutrition, or I'm only going to take supplements or only meds. I think we have to consider that interconnectedness really for, for true healing and relief. Absolutely. I've, I've literally had a few people message me in the last few days. It's like, what did you do? Who should I see coming from the same, like where, where uh, the same location of where, you know, back when I was living in Melbourne, I had these two women, you know, come towards me and, and, and I was like, there's not just one person and it's it's just it's it's an it's a it's a a tribe of people that have to come and get involved in this Mm -hmm. and you need to trial and error unfortunately it what's what what would have worked for me doesn't necessarily work Mm -hmm. for you so and so thank you for yeah going um explaining that you know little trauma big trauma um, and you did start talking about a bit of research. I know that you get really excited about that. And this is obviously a space that, you know, is continuously growing. We don't know too much about it. But what have you found recently that's got you excited about the PMDD research? You know, I was just looking at um, something around like like 
vagal function. And I don't, I don't remember the date of the study, but for my own health and wellness, I've really been working on um, like polyvagal toning, like helping to support my vagal nerve so I can more readily access like my sympathetic rest and digest nervous system. Um, like for whatever reason, I think I, I like function really well in that fight or flight. Um, you know, probably it's like, I've been trained, like I feel at home in chaos and stress. Right. And it's harder to access stillness. It's harder to, um, sometimes for me to sleep and those sorts of things. Um, and so it's been something I've been exploring for my own health and like connecting it even with some of my clients with PMDD or even other health conditions. But I found some research that um, looked at that vagal function. Um, this again, this is that gut brain connection. Even it's think of it as like the super highway that runs between the brain and the gut. Um, is um, might be depressed in people with um, premenstrual mood symptoms. And with PMDD, it can be depressed um, regardless of where they're at in the menstrual cycle. In other words, you know, in addition to your exercise and movement workouts, you got to work out your vagal nerve. Um, and, and I think um, I've read some research around this like sense of um, hypervigilance with PMDD. And so if you think about that fight or flight and that stress mode and, and the cortisol or the stress hormone levels that come with it, um, you know, where is that stress going? Are you able to, you know, let's say respond to a stressful event? We, we can't avoid stress. It's there, especially in, you know, this world we're living in now, how does your body, um, come back around from that? What level of resilience does someone have? Um, and that can impact your gut health and, you know, the production of your feel good brain chemicals and all these things. And so, yeah, that, that's kind of my, my, um, area where I'm really like digging in and like, creating tools and resources for, for both myself and, and my clients. And um, even sometimes with my, my children, there's certain things that I'll, I'll have them do that I know helps with, you know, their tolerance to stress and hopefully reducing tantrums and those sorts of things. Yeah. I love how you've worded it as like vagal fitness. <laughs> I, I was a personal trainer back in the day. I don't know. <laughs> So was I. So when they say mental fitness and vagal fitness, I like it, 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 it clicks with me. It makes it, I, I resonate with that. So mm-hmm. in terms of, I mean, could you give an example maybe of how we can, um, how we can be vagal fit? <laughs> I'm trying yes, to think of this. I like this. I, I was creating this as we go. No. Um, so I'll use, you know, my, my child as an example, he hums all day long. Mm. And, you know, for me, I actually have like a sensitivity to noise at times that it, it can be a lot, but I'm like, okay, he's toning his vagal nerve <laughs> um, and he's, he's five, but this action in the back of your throat. And so when you think about like, if, if anyone out there is taking a yoga class that includes like the chanting or the ohm or like Kundalini yoga, like some of those things are actually geared towards activating that vagal nerve. Um, but like with my clients, I like to think about, okay, what are all these tools on the toolbox and how do we build this in easily to your routine? So it might be like, okay, you take your morning shower and you have a blast of cold water that like sudden temperature change, um, does the trick or you like, you know, splash cold water on your face. Um, some people it's gargling water in the back of the throat after they brush their teeth can, can activate that vagal nerve. Um, and even, no surprise here, meditation and deep breathing. um, That's one of the roles that it plays. And a lot of times people are more resistant to like, oh my gosh, I have to like zen out on a meditation pillow for for 30 minutes. Doesn't need to be that. Um, I oftentimes have my clients build it in before meals 
that they have these big, deep belly breaths where the, the exhale is longer than the inhale. Um, I call it, there's um, a common breathing technique called four, seven, eight that I love. It's like in for four, hold for seven, out for eight. Um, and, you know, maybe you do that five times before you eat a meal. Good for your vagal nerve and actually excellent for digestion. Um, you're activating that rest and digest symptom system. You're going to better break down your food, digest it, absorb all those nutrients. So um, those are just some examples. But yeah, there's there's a lot you can do. And it's one of those things that's a daily practice. And everyone's talking about self-care. I feel like we need to like, yeah, yeah, self-care. But like, what about like self-soothing in the moment is how, how I like to describe it. A lot of times we're like, oh my gosh, I just have to wait till I take my Epsom salt bath to relax. You know, no, let's actually give your body what you need in this moment. Ask your body what it needs and do those small little tiny things like, a, you know, a minute at a time. Um, and I know even for me, I'll be, you know, in between clients, um, you know, a quick stretch and move, you know, maybe washing my face or a cup of tea or, you know, breastfeeding a baby. I'm doing some deep breathing, you know, we, um, because I know for me, I'm not going to be consistent to like sitting down to meditate every single day. It just isn't going to happen. <laughs> mm, mm, totally. I was actually just speaking about this to a friend last night, um, about, you know, we wait for that retreat, that week-long retreat that happens at the, you know, at the end of the year or exactly what you said, the bath. What I've really tried to cultivate, especially um, in the last few months, and I, I truly believe that this is what's, you know, sort of got me to the journey of being um, symptom-free, is finding more of those little moments throughout the day. Exactly what you said. Just find, you know, and just even if it means just bringing back my awareness and jumping off the hamster wheel from the day and just acknowledging that I got off. I was like, oh, I wonder where you went. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where did you just go then? And and then kind of reset. What am I doing? Do I need to take some breaths? Am I and tuning into that that body? Right? It's like where am I feeling some anxiety? Where am I feeling it? Breathe into it. Not analyze it. Because I used to analyze it and investigate, and then I'd get my and then beat myself up. Oh, I, you know, I started thinking about him again or that or that incident. It's just literally just bring back myself to the present moment. So I'm grateful that you that you mentioned that as well. Well, and I it's bringing up for me like even sometimes symptoms and paying attention to symptoms can have that effect. Like, okay, like great, I'm aware of my symptoms, but now like my symptoms and paying attention to them is like giving me more stress because I'm noticing them more is something I hear a lot. And I think, um, symptoms are just information just as like, you feel that stress in your body. It's information. Your body is asking you for something, these symptoms, you know, PMDD or, or otherwise they're asking you for something, right. It's, it's, telling you, um, you know, like pay attention to me. And I think with PMDD, I, I kind of think of it as like, it's like this nag, right? You ignore me. All right. I'm going to get louder. Okay. You're still ignoring me. I'm going to get even louder. Um, and one thing that I, I think is so important is when we, um, you know, I, I think Laura Brighton mentioned this, you know, demedicalize it, right. We mm-hmm. take away the, the power of those symptoms and we just look at them as information and get curious. Even that simple mindset shift can start to reduce, um, And even like I've had clients where, you know, let's say they were almost like pathologizing their level of fatigue or brain fog um, premenstrually. And and when they hear, 
you actually are called to rest at that time. You should be resting. You should be retreating a little bit. Like um, I, I call it my cloud bed. Like I have to, you know, be in bed a little bit with all my like covers and pillows and just, you know, be alone. Right. Um, and it's, you know, society is wanting us to be the same all the time, producing, doing, working, um, you know, especially here in the States. Um, I, I don't know. I have this perception that it's a little more laid back where you are, but maybe it isn't. Um, <laughs> it's not. It's not. <laughs> it's still the I, same. I dream of it. <laughs> it's still the same. You know, it's like this 28-day cycle is supposed to be just exactly the same. You just got to keep going and going and going. And, well, that's just not the case, especially for us. <laughs> Yeah. And that, and that's the beauty of cyclical living. And that that's a hard concept to grasp when your cycle is taking half of your life. Right. And so I think it's, it's one of those both and things we both need to look at why are your symptoms so severe from, you know, the physiological and psychological perspective, that root cause approach with the foundational things. And then sometimes there's more components related to hormones and histamine and brain neurotransmitters and all this stuff. Um, and also, how do we befriend your cycle and use the wisdom from that? And and um, and it can be just a game changer um, for mm. people and to release a lot of the shame that they feel that like, why can't I just like keep up all the time with, you know, with all the things. So mm. give yourself permission <laughs> to yeah. rest is always a, just give yourself permission to rest. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And the permission can be the difference between um you know, that, that need to rest becoming, let's say complete isolation and shutting the world out and downright depressed or in the severe side, you know, suicidal ideation between I'm simply resting. I'm simply taking the time I need. Um, and sometimes releasing that shame and like the shoulds of what you should be doing instead. Um, you might be amazed, right. Of, of how different that experience is. Mm, absolutely. And it just came to, th- just to my thought process as well. If you tell other people that you're giving yourself permission to rest, then you're giving the invitation to others to, to show them that it's a ripple effect, right? Oh, I got goosebumps. Like it's a ripple effect that you're mm-hmm. suddenly instilling that, oh, well, if she's taking some time out, maybe I can take some time out too. And, and that just having that beautiful yeah, time out and allowance and acceptance that is okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and asking for what you need, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, I think is a hard thing for me, especially, you know, if, um, whether someone has children or a demanding job or both, or, you know, that's, it's a lot to manage along with the symptoms. And so being really, really clear on what you need and not expecting others to just know. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I know with, with my husband, I have to be very direct, like I need to go for a walk by myself with nobody talking to me I'll be back in 20 minutes like see ya (laughs) you know I I have to be like that specific and um versus if I don't if I don't give myself that time I feel resentful perhaps to him um sometimes that rage can bubble up and and sometimes even myself like I haven't you know had my own back so to speak when you when you ignore those signs and what you need yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. You have to be direct. <laughs> direct. So good. So good. So I know that you mentioned um, there was an upcoming workshop that you've got going on. So um, yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Um, and I guess also flow in how people can find you, et cetera, um, because that workshop sounds really, really interesting. I'm definitely going to be getting involved in that. 
Yeah. Um, so the workshop is all around, um, you know, testing, like what do you need to test? How do you know what to test? What is maybe not so important in the beginning? Um, I just get a lot of questions around like, should I test my hormones or not? Um, or wanting to um, test all these things without the foundational pieces in place. And so I, you know, created this kind of roadmap of, you know, the overall process and, um, and then it's unique to each person, but how to get started and, and have, you know, a partner in that. So, and, and looking at it from that perspective of optimal health versus ruling out disease mm-hmm. is kind of the theme of the workshop. And we'll go more into um, kind of the root cause approach. Um, even, you know, I think it'd be fun to bring in some client examples of different types of tests that have come in after that basic blood work. Um, you know, for example, it might be looking really in depth at digestive health and there's so much to uncover there. And I know that was part of your story from, from mm. what I, what I heard so far. And, um, you know, it might be looking at, you know, hormones for certain people, but that's not for everybody. Um, and sometimes I'll even, you know, look at, there's like organic acid testing, all these things. But again, it's like, we have to um, prioritize. And so uh, I want to help people connect those dots around what is, what is really needed? What, what should you have up front? Um, and then, um, and even uh, I think we could tease in some of this like genomic information, you know, it's one of those things where um, when I was still in school, it was like, this is like the future of nutrition. And now I'm like living in the future of nutrition. <laughs> and it's like crazy yeah. that like this science yeah. is here now and it's developing and it's, um, you know, can really give insight into how to personalize someone's plan um, too. So um, yes, I'll be putting that up on my website soon. Um, I have not been super active on Instagram lately, but <laughs> I will put it there as well. Social media is, is not my forte to be on there every single day, but I'll, I'll, I'll be putting stuff out there too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, please share with me once it comes up and everything, because I'll definitely share that. So, um, so how are you working with people at the moment? I like are you doing one-on-ones if someone wanted to reach out to you, how would they go about it? Yeah, so um, a couple of things in the works. So right now I'm doing um, one-on-one clients. Um, and normally I'll work with someone um, for a minimum of three months. You know, I, I want to have that commitment to the, the process and people who are ready to dig deep. Um, I, I always tell I'm not like a one or two sessions type of nutritionist because I want to make sure that you get results and those results last. Um, and then on the horizon, I um, I'm developing a group program um, to cover some of those foundational pieces that are important for pretty much anyone with PMDD. And part of the reason is, you know, I want to make sure this is accessible to as many people as possible. And also there's so much healing that t- takes place in community, learning from one another, having your voice heard, having your story heard, encouraging each other, keeping each other accountable. Um, so right now I, I have kind of my, my dream is to have it as a live course initially. Um, and I'm thinking that will be, um, late winter, early spring as well. And I'll, um, yeah, and someone can follow me, um, on Instagram, pmdd.dietitian, or you'll put my website in the, the show notes, um, for updates on all those sorts of things. And then, um, I have an email list if people want to join that to make sure they don't miss things. And there's a, a, free ebook on my website around cravings, which is a favorite topic and why cravings happen, how to make sense of them, what, what to do without, you know, villainizing yourself or villainizing food. So, um, a combined science plus intuitive eating approach. If anyone wants to check that out. Oh, I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. And 
thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge and wisdom. I Oh, I also got some aha moments and some things that I am definitely going to take home and investigate further. So thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode. Please ensure that you like, subscribe, follow, or whatever it is that you need to do to keep up to date with new episodes on your podcast listening platform. If you would like to get in touch with me, please email me at thepmddpodcast at gmail.com. Please make sure that you follow on Instagram, which is at the underscore pmddpodcast. Thank you so much again. I look forward to chatting with you soon. Much love.